Davey, my man, how you been? I've been good, man. I've been really good. Uh, like I told you earlier, I moved to a new city. I'm starting a new graduate program. Things are just looking up for me. Nice, man. So what, what do you, uh, what, you moved to Philadelphia? Yeah, I moved to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, you know, uh, really different from New York City, in my opinion, uh, uh, really similar in some ways, too. It's, it's really been a, an experience. Cool. What's so, what is different about it? I've been to Philly a couple times, but not like lived there enough to like know exactly right. how different it would be. It's definitely more intimate than uh, New York City. Like you could go to one part to the next part of Philadelphia in not even 30 minutes. But in New York City, it takes you hours to go to a different borough. And different parts of the city almost remind me of different boroughs of, of New York. And there's just a lot more people in New York City than there is in Philadelphia. But there's still a lot of people here in Philadelphia, which is weird. So it's like, it, it feels feel small. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it feels, it feels small to me, but it doesn't, it's not a small place. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, a, it's a weird duality. Yep. What's, uh, what are you up to education wise? So right now I'm going for my master's in philosophy. Um, so I'm pursuing graduate work, you know, through that. I really wanted to study the philosophy of consciousness and experience. So more so like still on the psychological side, I'm not getting rid of that psychological piece of it. But I really want to answer like the fundamental questions of what is experience? What is consciousness? How does that relate to experience? You know, things of that nature. Yeah, that's awesome. Super interesting stuff. And you, you, you've you, put me on to a lot of good. Um, there was a time where I was like so focused on reading everything that there was on nutrition and training and the physiology. And then there was a part where I got so sick of doing that. Just like pot, the podcast, the books and the articles and the research reviews that I really wanted some like intellectual outlet that wasn't specifically on that. And you put me on to some good philosophy stuff. Um, which was my major, not uh, not as a, a master's program, just as an undergrad, but still something that I enjoy reading. Um, cool, that's awesome. I'm I'm curious what you've been up to. So from, from the outside looking in, just to give people some context, um, you and I have an episode prior that was, I believe, we have two episodes actually. One that we talked about uh, uh, logical fallacies in nutrition, which I think was fascinating, and I'll link all these in the show notes. And then our second episode was on like the anti diet. Uh, healthy any size movement that was picking up some speed and you had some good strong opinions I think we had a wonderful chat on that as well which I'll link below um, but you and I were talking off air and said that it's been an interesting ride for you and that there have been some not 180s actually I'm not actually sure how much your opinions have changed but that was something that we wanted to talk about and we'll get to that but actually if you've been following you which Honestly, you are one of the most fascinating people on social media. I absolutely love following you. If people don't follow you, they absolutely should. It's a it's a crime. You don't have more followers. Um, but during the, um, I was going to say during the COVID era, as if it's like behind us 100%, but when it was at its height of polarity, let's say, you really dove in on what the research was saying and you spoke very openly about what the research was saying and, you know, potentially legislature uh, on, this, on this topic. And it was really interesting to follow along from afar because it's a topic that was so hot. And when I say hot, I mean it was it was bringing about the strongest of opinions from every corner, every dark depth of the internet. And so I'm curious what your experience was like shifting your attention away from nutrition to COVID and COVID research and COVID health policies and stuff like that. What was your experience like doing that? So it was really freaking tough to, I mean, first when I switched over, it was, um, because I saw a lot of people blowing up over talking about it. And I'm like, I, I just started a master's program in um, public health. So I'm pretty much like I was like right now, I'm like technically halfway through public health degree, you know, for master's. So I took all the epidemiology classes. I took all the research methods classes. 
I took all these different classes related to outbreaks and disease. And I was like, you know, maybe first this is a hot button topic, you know, a lot of attention to it. And second, there's just so much bullshit out there. I just wanted to help bring out some good quality information related to the actual research. Um, so it was, it was really difficult because, you know, obviously I had dealt, I dealt with the same tropes over and over and over again. You know, people telling me that the vaccines were ineffective. Meanwhile, the research was showing different. People telling me that the vaccines were causing X, Y, and Z, Z, whatever disease. Meanwhile, there was no evidence for that. People telling me that lockdowns were ineffective. Meanwhile, they couldn't cite any evidence for that. Um, and it was really hard to be, quote unquote, evidence-based and talk about COVID-19 at the same time, because at that time, no one, even really smart people, were not being evidence or science-based because it was a topic that was very emotionally driven, um, very polarized. So uh, it was really difficult. And then Instagram didn't help. Um, every single post that I put out, even if it was quality information, it got flagged. Um, Instagram threatened to bag my, ban my account multiple times, even though I was sharing quality, vetted information from valid sources. Um, it, was, it was insane. So, <laughs> I mean, think about the pushback, not only from, you know, people, individuals, right? And having to shut down my comment section because it was just so swamped with bullshit, but also coming from, you know, what you would think the platform would support, which is quality science-based information. And they're punishing me for talking about this topic just in general. The, the so, interesting part I, mean, I thought was that you actually, and I, you know what, we, I risk starting this podcast with COVID because there's people who are like, you know, so far in the anti-vax, you know, we have a microchip that like have already stopped listening. And that's what, you know, I don't, I don't want to go so deep into that, but the irony is like the language that you used and the, the language that you used on top of the fact that you were very research driven, that you were like, Hey, I'm not just going to say these things. I'm going to point to some research that backs up a claim. And even when it does back up a claim, I'm not going to use absolute language. I'm just going to say, here's what we have. And here's what we know. Like right. that to me is just like the irony is even if you were, um, even if, and I, I'm suspect that in general, these platforms would agree with the position that you have, but whether they did or did not, you didn't strike me as a inflammatory, um, account in the sense of like ensuing, you know, rage in people and trying to use crazy inflammatory absolute language. It wasn't like that at all. And just, I saw what was happening. I, I mean, I lived in your comment sections. It was fantastic. I mean, not, I was, I was sorry for you, but it was fantastic to read. I was learning a lot, just learning a lot from you, but also learning a lot of like what other viewpoints were out there, both sane right. and insane. Um, and so kudos to you, man. It's got to, it had to have been a really like really rough experience in, in, you know, in a learning way, you know, you can glass half full that and say it was a positive learning experience, but it must've been tough. It was, no, it, it definitely was. And it's still, I mean, like stressing public health really gave me a different perspective of society at large. And the fact that, you know, we live in a community, we, we live in a society. So you know, obviously our choices can't be just due to what we want, but also take into consideration the grander scheme of things. And it's just interesting seeing different countries' responses to it. You know, America is a very hyper-individualistic country. I mean, that, that's not uncontroversial, I think. So obviously our response will be different to, let's say, a country that's more collectivist. And, um, you know, obviously, if you want to look at the numbers and you understand and you have the qualifications, the numbers speak for themselves, which countries did a little bit better and which countries didn't do so good. And America was unfortunately one of those countries that didn't do so good. 
Um, so, I mean, obviously, like, that's not completely in the past behind us. And I don't want to make people totally upset over talking about this topic. But it just made me think about broadly other topics like nutrition, which I felt like we focused a lot on debunking and talking about uh, individual actions, individual diets, individual this, individual that. And I'm like, what about the the whole entire population? You know, what are, what are some factors or barriers that are preventing people from eating nutritious foods or having nutritious diets? So that's when I, I kind of when I came back to nutrition, my content kind of shifted in that direction more so. Let's talk a little bit. Let's let's uh, paint a small picture of kind of what our previous podcast was. Or you can just talk about your arc of uh, opinions on the topic of things like haze and anti-diet and maybe talk a little bit about we can just kind of talk a little bit about where your opinions were. And, and, and I'm genuinely you and I have not talked about this. So I'm actually very interested in what your arc, your experience has been and how, what your stance on specifically some of that stuff or generally public health, like you just mentioned, how we can do the best for the most people. Um, right. I'm curious what, you know, how that, what that arc of your experience and, and opinions is looking like. So, I mean, my arc was definitely, um, even though I was trying to be evidence-based, it was definitely politically driven. I had some issues with some folks online who tried to cancel me, uh, you know, on the, on the gram, they were really trying to harass me, really trying to cancel me. So I was just like, Ooh, you know, like I hated that so much. So I kind of fell into the trap of listening to ideologies and stances that were kind of against cancellation, but also were now that I, I see now kind of inconsiderate to other people and um, other ways of thinking and other ways of possibly knowing. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's the right word for it, but, you know, and, and one of those different topics that I kind of had to reevaluate was, you know, intuitive eating and anti-diet. I started to realize like, you know, maybe I'm straw manning anti-diet a little bit. Maybe I'm not getting the full picture. Maybe I should talk to more professionals in that space who don't necessarily agree with me. And maybe I could come to a different understanding from that. Um, so that's what I started to do. Um, I, I start being extreme saying, you know, obesity is bad. Obesity is bad. Obesity is bad. And started saying, you know, well, how do we deal with that? And are the methods that the evidence-based community currently that we're using really effective for dealing with that public health issue? And I would say in large in part, no, it's not. So, I mean, we have to rethink the problem. And anti-diet was sort of doing that already. So I was like, all right, how do I rethink this problem and incorporate some of their thoughts into my own thoughts? Because we don't totally agree on everything, but there's more common ground than there isn't. And that's when my evolution came into fruition. And even if there's not more common ground than there isn't, the acknowledgement that there is common ground is a learning experience for both sides. And as a small tangent, I, I, I care way more about what you have to say right now, but a small tangent is I actually was like, had like a moment I was talking in, uh, in therapy a couple weeks ago and I was looking at my client roster. I love all my clients. I love what I do. Big preface there. Love my clients. Love what I do. But uh, the percentage of my clientele for which let's let's hone in on weight loss for the percentage of my clients for whom weight loss would likely result in meaningful health improvement was lower than I really was proud of. Um, and I was thinking to myself, like, it's not, it's not, I'm not a weight loss coach, right? I, I am, I want to be a quality of life coach. I want to help people improve quality of life and, you know, through health and fitness is the, the, you know, the lens that I'll do that through. Um, and weight loss is in that bucket of, 
of things that may help certain people in certain situations achieve that improvement in quality of life. But the percentage of people that that I was working with that were that I genuinely thought, hey, weight loss might be might be a tool for improved objective physiological health was quite low and in a, in a, in a not quite low, but lower than I was proud of in that moment. And I was like, you know, we have a, we have a, there, the, there is an obesity epidemic. However, whatever, however terminology we would say, like, like I was working with a clientele that wasn't reflective of like this public health issue. And that isn't to say that I'm, I was, there's a hard pivot here to like, I only want to work with clients who fall in that category. Um, I did have to rethink kind of what I do and, and that there is a lot of still good that I can do as a coach outside of that. And there's, anyway, I don't need to go too deep into that, but I, but like you said, that there's actually potentially a, this big divergence or a tunnel vision where we're not necessarily the evidence-based quote unquote evidence-based community for when it comes to health and fitness is, and maybe they were doing it on purpose, but they're certainly not addressing the, if you just scroll through your health and fitness content, I, I would say that there's too much of a percentage, I don't know exactly how much, depends on who you follow, there's too much of a percentage that just doesn't apply to the big problem at hand. Um, right. And that and that's, is that a problem? Maybe it's just a problem for who you follow and maybe it's just for the right person, you should be following a certain brand of, of social media expert and for other people it should be the other way. But just, I think I can speak generally, maybe it's just my bias at large, we're not necessarily addressing that problem optimally. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, it's, I think part of the issue is, uh, you know, we always say lack of education for clients, but I think it's also lack of education for coaches. You know, when you're a coach and you deal with um, a certification program, I dealt with a certification program, you dealt with a certification program. Where's the chapter on um, overall population health? You know, where's the chapter on social detriments to health? Where's the chapter on uh, social barriers to health? You know, why aren't we talking about these things? These things are also evidence and science-based. They're not, we're not just, when I talk about these things, we're not, I'm not just talking them out of my ass. Like these, we have citations, we have clear evidence, we have a whole bunch of resources on this. And, you know, fundamentally the fitness industry is, in my opinion, ignoring this greater issue. And I feel like instead of fighting over whether, artificial sweeteners are bad or not, or whether, you know, um, seed oils are inflammatory. I think those are, are minutia compared to like the overall issue with things like emotional eating, things like trauma, things like um, a lot of uh, economic instability, food insecurity, um, you know, just other barriers, psychological, social factors that influence the biology of a person. Um, I, I feel like those are kind of neglected in the fitness industry and the fitness space. I also think on top of that, there's a, a lack of acknowledgement of the uh, genetic predispositions in this context. I think you, what you said was a lot of things that fall into the category of like one's lived experience, like the more of the, the nurture side for sure. But there's a, there's a, uh, probably a, a, a slightly not enough understanding of the genetic predispositions of somebody right. who has obesity or is more more predisposed to, you know, uh, trend towards having obesity. Uh, and I think that that's definitely, like you said, education for coaches is that, that your approaches may not apply or need, need adjusting for the greater population at large. I'm curious, um, not to go back too far, but I'm curious, you had mentioned that you were like, okay, first of all, I love, you are the kind of person who is going to, uh, be very open to changing one's mind in the face of more compelling either research or arguments that do end up making more sense to you. And I love that. And that's like, 
really, really hard to come by. And it's probably why you're not as good on social media, right? It's like, it's probably one of the downsides. Um, and, yeah. and, and to be honest, that's okay. You know, I think I know that you're a man of principle and you're not going to change that part about you to, to conform there. But I'm curious, what are some of the stuff that in your, um, a bit of a, more of a deep dive to like have discussions with professionals on things like anti-diet and the haze side of things? Um, what were some of the things that you came to the conclusion that maybe you were straw manning to some degree? Uh, and what did some of that common ground maybe look like? So I think one of the biggest uh, issues for me was the acknowledgement of uh, a diet culture. The fact that there's a certain societal, social uh, industry expectation um, where we emphasize being smaller at all costs, you know, and uh, obviously that doesn't apply everywhere all at once, but it was just the acknowledgement that this thing might exist, that this phenomenon might be true. Um, that was a big uh, revelation for me. And also the idea that, um, you know, maybe we should stress more health behaviors than the actual outcome of losing the most weight possible. I think from from my from my personal experience, right, my lived experience, I went from losing a ton of weight to gaining it back. So I'm like, what failed for me? What what didn't work for me? What led me to regain weight? And I'm not the exception. I'm the rule. A lot of people that go on these weight loss journeys, they regain weight or they regain a lot of their weight or they regain all of their weight. So it's like, why, why am I the rule? You know, what, what makes me the rule? What, what, why is that the rule? Why is that the general trend of things? So, I mean, like having these conversations with anti-diet practitioners kind of put into perspective. Now, I don't agree, obviously, with everything. I think that weight loss can be helpful for certain people in certain circumstances. Obviously, it's not benign. Obviously, weight loss has um, could have consequences to it that needs to be discussed and people need to be informed. But, you know, obviously, I don't want to demonize weight loss, but I don't want to deify weight loss either and say, like, it's <laughs> the best thing ever. You know, everyone has to do it. It works for everyone. And it's like, that's that's not that's not true either. So uh, trying to put in those shades of gray where it's like, how do you not become extreme one way or the other? Yeah. And that's, that's the common ground, which, and that's the common ground that I wish, I wish some of, and I, you have extremes in all, in all things. And I don't want to just go back to our conversation from last podcast, but it, that is what you just said is the, is the, is the very balanced common ground. I would like us all to get to of like, I don't want to demonize it. I don't want to deify it. It's not everything, but it's also not nothing like fat adipose adiposity is not benign. It's not, but it, it right. isn't the only route to health improvements. And in some cases, isn't the route to, to the health improvement that somebody would want. Um, and 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 I and I would love to have both sides of the the table sit at you know sit at that table uh, come to that sort of a, an understanding for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's the difficult part of just just trying to. Um, I think I, I framed it as trying to be a negotiator rather than a debater. So tr when you're trying to negotiate, you're trying to find that common ground. You're trying to ask questions. You're trying to generally understand the other side, and you're trying to uh, get them to understand your own perspective as well. You know, it's not just a one way street. You're trying to learn from one another. And if we can be a little bit less extreme on our particular stances, then that's considered a win, because obviously one conversation is not going to change someone's mind. Um, I've dealt with this many of times. But if I could get someone to at least find some type of common ground with me, that can sow a seeds of not only doubt, but trust that maybe, you know, me or another person 
might be someone to look into, might be someone to follow, might be someone to check out. And maybe you can get more information from me. Maybe you can learn something from me. Maybe I can learn something from you. It, you know, it's something like that. I'm, I'm trying to strive more towards that than what I've done in the past. Yeah. Be, just, be, just really opening your door and your ears and your opinion to other points of view and not necessarily being closed off about it. I, I think the diet culture, I think our podcast probably had something that said something like it being some like amorphous boogeyman that like wasn't really a thing. And it was like being given a title as like, um, I'm missing the logical fallacy here, but um, a, a sort of like a straw man or, um, you know, was being built up into this thing that, that then could be attacked as a catch all for like anybody talking about calories, let's say, or personal responsibility right. or, um, and I'm just curious, has your opinion on like, what is diet culture? Is it even a thing or, you know, has that changed or is it, you know, I think, I think, I think every rational person who is follows people on social media is in the fitness industry is trying to get fit themselves, recognizes that there's going to be some part of this that is on the extreme end of both sides. And if you're looking at the extreme end of personal responsibility and just eat less and just move more and you have like an archetype of someone just screaming that at people, that's not good. Like if you want to tell me that's diet, I'm with you on that. Like, you know, th this uh, nutritional elitism, the Mark Hyman's, the, you know, the, the Flav cities, this elitism approach of, you know, you got to buy the $40 thing at Whole Foods because it doesn't have this one ingredient. This is how you're going to be healthy. Just if that is kind of what we want, again, I think it depends on who you ask for this definition of diet culture, but me not being on the anti-diet health at every side side of things, let's say on an extreme sense, I can absolutely acknowledge that on the other side of things, there's certainly uh, downsides to the some of those extreme scenarios slash stances. Yeah. And I mean, like in, in my perspective, like diet culture is a part of that, but it's also um, some of the more attitudes that we generally have, like, you know, where people, for instance, uh, I mean, like, obviously this is, this is not universal, but like, if you ever go into my comment section, which you have, people just attack me because of my appearance. They don't know me. They don't know my health status. They don't know anything about me, but they just perceive that in order to be a quality uh, person in the health sciences or in nutrition, you have to look a certain way. And you see that with people like, you know, Paul Saladino, you see that with people like, you know, Sean Baker, who they're like, Every time I sit there and I address their points, they're like, but they look good though. And it's like, that's not, that's not a valid argument. That doesn't, that doesn't validate their argument. So I think diet culture is a bit of that as well. This idea that health and fitness has to look a certain way or be a certain thing. And it has to be like this elite sort of, you have to look this way. You have to eat this way. You have to uh, exercise this way. And it's like, you know, that is, I think what, what I'm trying to get at sort of like the negative sides of the fitness and wellness and health industry, just all together in one. Um, but obviously like we don't want it to be a catch all term where it's like, I'm just throwing it out there at whatever, whoever, because I disagree with them, you know, cause obviously that is a fallacy in of itself. But if we're talking about the negative aspects of these industries related to health, I would say that, yeah, there, there probably is like a diet culture in that sense. There probably is, negative attitudes and stereotypes that people hold about diets and body weight and body size that just don't hold up to uh evidence that just don't hold up to values um and we just have them so i mean like that from that perspective i think there's a diet culture 
but you know, you know, I don't want to put it out like a slang against everything that I disagree with. Sure. There's certainly, um, up on a pedestal, this idea of being smaller and, and that on a spectrum of smaller versus larger, you're always improving if you're getting smaller and you're always going backwards if you're becoming larger. And I think that is a, too much of a something that a lot of people are not along with subconsciously, that that's absolutely something that should be contested in many cases. I have a, I have a question that I always toys around in my mind and I come to the conclusion I'm not really necessarily smart enough to answer it or knowledgeable enough to answer it. There's a growing like, um, there's almost like a, a subconsciously, I feel like a lot of people think that people who are overweight should lose weight or that they even further that they need to lose weight. Um, I can't bring myself to come to a reason why somebody else should do anything outside of what they want to do. Um, I, I don't know if that's a, I don't know what that says about how I view other people's autonomy or whatever, but I, I don't, it's just nothing. Nobody should or has to do anything. I'll get, I get do a Q and A like a couple times a week. People will use that word. I need to lose. I should lose. I should, I was told right. I should lose. And it's just like, well, I, should you? Is this even like, I, I can't tell anybody that they need to. Now the only, I, after I think that most people agree that like you telling somebody they should do something generally, what the fuck are you talking about? This is their life. Yeah. Um, but is there a, the only even potential argument I can think about that I don't have any understanding that you might be the person, perfect person to ask is like a, is there a, and, and the funny part, I'll get to the fucking point. I promise um, is like uh, the people who are saying I should lose weight or they should lose weight or he or she should lose weight or needs to lose weight. They're not thinking about what I'm about to say. And that is a problem. But if they were going to actually think about it or make an, a, a semi-logical argument, is there a public health burden? Like, is there like, um, is there, is there a utopian answer here of like uh, people should lose weight because now we have a public health burden that is that's now affecting me um, or others. I mean, is there something there whether you could even make a semi-logical argument that there is a that there is a responsibility for people to be healthy? Like there is a responsibility. Um, there's a person in my complex who I, who she, she she has obesity. She's overweight. And I just hear the way people talk and I'm just like, well, why, why, why can't she just be super happy and live her life? Why are you, do you have an opinion on what she should do? It's just like irrelevant. And they never come back with this answer of like a public health burden or something. Cause that's not what they mean. What they mean is right. you're disgusting and you shouldn't live like that. And you should be better and smaller and you'd like yourself more and you, and it's just projecting their own shit. But Mm -hmm. I, you know, a semi-logical argument might be if there were a public health burden, then you could at least go down that route. I don't think it would change my general opinion, frankly, unless it was like a really steep argument here, but you probably have a better understanding of what that might be. So, I mean, like the public health burden of uh, obesity is definitely related to healthcare costs and chronic disease risk and formation. I mean, like if you're a morbidly obese, you're more at risk to develop, you know, cardiovascular disease, type two diabetes, hypertension like there's a bunch of d different associated how does that affect me issues. though right yeah and, it affects and, you like, it, how does it, it affects, affects me so it, it affects you as a taxpayer because you know obviously when it comes to healthcare costs if you're paying for someone's medicaid you know and they're in a very obese state and they're dealing with these chronic health issues you're footing the bill in a lot of different ways and when it comes to healthcare, a lot of times we do foot the bill but another way to see this is do people make the conscious choice to end up where they are? Like last, uh, I fault? had a conversation the other day where um, poverty is associated with increased obesity. You know, is it their fault that they're impoverished 
And that is leading them to this path of being more obese or being overweight or whatever compared to if they weren't in that situation. You know, who is driving public health? And a lot of times if you're reading the dietary guidelines, if you're looking at the research, private industry is, you know, like advertisements, uh, food product placements, um, physical locations of where fast food chains are, you know, access to foods. You go, if I'm not sure if you guys ever been to a food pantry, but a lot of times they don't have the most nutritious food because they don't have the capacity to hold them. They don't have refrigeration systems. They don't have places to get these foods from. A lot of these foods spoil. So a lot of times they're giving people canned goods that are high in sodium, probably high in fat, or, you know, probably high in added sugars. Low in fiber, high in sati- low, low in satiety, food. all of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So how is it the person's fault that they're going towards a particular path when they're not in control uh, largely of their food environment. So that's something that we have to consider in the discussion. Like, yes, I can make the argument that you're playing the bill as a taxpayer because, you know, healthcare concerns, whatever may have you. But there's another side to the argument where it's like, well, are these people that are in this situation that rely on Medicaid or whatever in the in in like the like the right circumstances to have a health promoting pattern of diet, like can am they I actually afford it? Like am I like am I footing the bill for somebody who uh, is getting a free ride? You know what I mean? That's not actually what's happening, and it goes back to the misunderstanding that of personal responsibilities role. Now, I think you and I both agree there is there is more than zero percent of personal responsibility in this whole uh, right. being a healthy person, of course. But I do think that there's needs to be an acknowledgement of, like you said, other factors that aren't in your control. Let's use poverty uh, as an example. Like, you know, and again, there are going to be people that are going to say, okay, that is still personal responsibility. And again, I'd say there's still some more than zero personal responsibility in there, but there's more than zero things that I can't control and that have put me in a position that predisposes me to trending in this towards some of these issues for fucking sure. Um, and so that's a good answer. Cause I think, it, I think it makes sense. Listen, I'm a taxpayer. I'm paying for other people's medical issues on some level, but that's only bad if those people's medical issues are hundred percent preventable via their own personal responsibility, which isn't 100% true. Um, and probably right. less true than we think. I think there's, I don't, I'm not, you know, the more you talk about the things you can't control, I'm not putting those things up on a pedestal, but I think they have been under-discussed. Um, right. They've been under-discussed. And so to, to look at somebody who is overweight or has obesity and assume that this has just been uh, an aggregate of poor choices that they have had 100% control over is untrue. And so that maybe needs a bit more light, you know, and I, I, I could see, you know, that this whole this anti-diet haze discussion was maybe swinging very far in that in that. Um, swinging in the extreme in that context of abdicating responsibility 100% to some degree. Maybe that's me strawmanning right. as well. But there there were some people who gave off that sort of vibe, but I do, you know, mm-hmm. we we kind of need to land in the middle here of acknowledging that this that these people aren't here just via a, an aggregate of their own 100% responsibility decisions. Right. Uh there was this um report I saw from the UK uh, um, administration of health and they made like this whole entire chart where they describe the different uh ov- like there's so many different factors but overarching pools of factors where you have individual agency as one but then you have societal factors you have genetic biological factors you have you know um psychological factors 
So, and the interplay of all of these factors is what leads someone to consume more energy uh, over time, being an energy surplus over time, which leads them to be obese. So it's not just like individual agency is a part of the picture, but it's not the only thing that's in the picture. Um, and depending on who we're talking about, certain factors are going to hold more sway than other factors. You know, so, and this is all science-based, this is all evidence-based. There's research out there talking about these different facets and factors and how that impacts people's health. And that is something that needs to be more in the discussion, especially in the fitness industry. We're ignoring this part of it. People are stressing a lot of individual agency, but they're not talking about psychology. They're not talking about society. They're not talking about um, genetics or anything like that. Um, and those are important parts of the conversation. So how do we reconcile the things that we in this context that we cannot control? Because and I'll and I want to throw that to you for the acknowledgement and again the reconciliation of how we go about, you know, still working towards um potentially improving health if that's what one wants to do. But just from a genetic perspective, man, from an individual metabolism perspective, there's just such a wide variety. I mean, there's plenty of studies where people who are like from an archetype perspective, height, weight, age you know, body mass index, like, and then they test BMR and there's just a massive variety between people. There's a huge variety in how many calories you burn doing the same thing. There's a big variety in how much your metabolism can flex, flexible, uh, flex upwards or, or adapt upwards. There's a huge variety in satiety response to food. Um, you know, something, you know, things that go on in the hypothalamus as well. Like there's just such a big variety in your, you know, response to eating the same thing or how many calories you burn at rest versus the same exact person as you versus how many calories you burn doing that activity versus the same person as you. There's so many things that you've been genetically blessed or not blessed with that are not in your control. And so let's take, those are the factors that I would be comfortable speaking on, but the societal factors, the environmental factors, um, the financial differences would be not things that I'd be as uh, comfortable discussing, but how do we reconcile like, what do you do now? Okay, we, we acknowledge, is the reconciliation here just acknowledging that these factors exist and having more compassion towards them? I think the first step towards change is acknowledgement. You know, when you, if you look into motivational interviewing, you look into CBT, you look into solution-based uh, therapy, whatever type of therapy, counseling modality there is for change, um, getting someone to change starts with, acknowledgement you have to acknowledge that the problem is there in order to change it in the first place and second is to realize that how these societal factors get mitigated is largely through policy it's largely through being active in the political process that is politics unfortunately <laughs> like our political institutions but you know because we have evidence like if you reduce advertisement for particular foods high in salt high in fat high in sugar Calories decreases, caloric consumption decreases. If you make food manufacturers reformulate their products, caloric consumption decreases. We have frameworks for how to improve our food systems that we're not enacting because of policy. You know, so it, these are, that's an important part of it. Like, it's not just, oh, individual, learn this thing and do this thing. It's also, you know, what's what's the responsibility on the food industry? What's the responsibility of government? What's the responsibility of the individual? And how does that all interact together? And once you could reconcile that, which is very difficult, then you can have a clearer picture of how to actually help people's health out. It, it is not, it's really tough for us to not make it at all political 
but there's just a response there that is as who, why is it the responsibility of the, the government to step in here? You know, um, why is it the responsibility to, to put some sort of, uh, parameters on food marketing, you know, and, and there's an answer to that question, but there will be people that say any breach of capitalism in this context, a breach of a company's right to, to market and, and affect your buying, you know, uh, patterns like that, that goes against what America is, you know, um, it, it, it is a, it is a fine line. I struggle to even come up with where my thoughts are on it in like a, in a concise way, because I, I believe in capitalism as a construct, right. You know, like a totally, but this might be a, for the greater good moment where, you know, and where do you draw that line? Same with censorship, you know, is censorship bad as a, as a 100% in all contexts, or are there things that deserve to be censored? Right. And this context is like freedom of marketing and capitalism. Is it a good in all contexts, even if it brings bad, or are there things that we should be doing for the greater good? Right. And I think what, what really puts things into perspective is, Look at other developed nations who are capitalists but have certain social policies which promote the health and well-being of their citizens. You know, you go to somewhere like Finland where housing is a guaranteed human right. Every homeless person is, is they get a house, you know, and they get support and they get systems in place so they could sit there and work and actually, you know, afford a living situation. You go to other countries where education is a right. You go and they have... So oftentimes those countries have better social mobility standards than places like the United States. So, I mean, like it's, you have to invest in people in order to see the fruits of your own labor. You know, we want our people to be, especially in this country, healthier, smarter, um, well-to-do, whatever, but we need to give a certain portion of the population the resources in place to do so. Um, you can't just expect to throw somebody in the pool that doesn't know how to swim and just expecting to swim all the time, sometimes they're going to drown. Sometimes they're going to fuck up. Sometimes they're not going to make it. But with assistance, with patience, with time, dedication, you know, you could get someone to swim. You could get someone to do it on their own, um, but they need the help. There's a there's probably a pushback somewhere that, it, you know, um, it doesn't cost a lot to eat healthy. And I think that, and that's, um, generally, I would agree with that. Generally, I think if you made a very concise effort to improve the quality of your nutrition, it doesn't have to cost a lot. There are versions of that and those out there who purport things that make it look like it costs a lot. And this is a Flav City 101 of like, you know, uh, you got to buy this this exact $40 thing at Whole Foods. You can't buy the non-organic, non-GMO alternative, which is, by the way, totally fucking fine. Um, right. And it's not just that. It's not just, oh, hey, man, people are standing behind a wall of it, it costs too much to eat healthy. Um, but that is, that is a, a, a decently fair pushback. Um, where do we think that, how, how far would you take that truth? And where would we, you know, let's say it, that, that we would agree. It's, it doesn't need to be expensive, but where are we missing? Where are we missing? Right. Are people not, is it, it's so, it's so many factors and this is where it can get, it can be lost in how confusing it is. Is it an education thing? Is it a, um, a cultural thing? Is it a, like you said, is it a marketing thing? Is it where, 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 if it's not just, okay, someone that comes into this podcast, like Jordan's actually not expensive to eat heavy or eat healthy. Like, okay, so fucking figure it out. Poor people. Like that's that it's not that simple. Right. I mean, you're assuming people have time. You're assuming people have access, like physical access location to get to a supermarket. Um, some people work multiple different jobs. Um, some people have multiple different kids. You know, some people don't have 
basic utensils. They don't have fridges. They don't have a microwave. They don't have uh, a oven. You know what I'm saying? So like, if you don't have the basic appliances, if you don't have the time, if you don't have the physical access, what can you do? You know, that it makes things a lot tougher, a lot harder. You know, we live in this bubble. People live in this bubble when they talk about the experience of others and they speak from their own experience, right? Well, you know, my mom and dad had it rough when they came to this country and look how they did. But that's survivorship bias. You know, not everyone that comes here and not everyone that lives here is thriving for various different reasons. And there's people that struggle on a daily basis all the time. There's like, I, I saw a recent report that said, you know, if Americans, like millions of Americans get an unexpected expense, they couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle a $500 unexpected expense. So if millions of people were having this, these issues, it's not a matter of just work harder or just stop being lazy. There's something else going on there. And uh, to get out of our bubble is to see that like, not everyone's me, not everyone has my resources, not everyone has the same time availability that I do. Not everyone comes from the same family that I do. Not everyone has the same socioeconomic status or education as I do. And that's okay, but those different types of factors will impede or affect the other person. <laughs> you know, it's really hard to think outside of yourself when you're just concerned about yourself. And there's an irony that that there's a counterpoint of like why why is it why is it others' responsibility to be concerned about those individuals, but they're probably the same individuals that are saying those people should get healthy because of the public health burden on my taxes, you know? Um, so you're concerned, you're concerned about them. Yeah. You're, con yeah. you're concerned about them. You're, if you're, but you, but you about, want them to, but you want them to have the burden of figuring it out on their own. Yeah. Right. Like that's the thing that I don't understand. Like, for instance, you look at the carnival crowd, they want to blame the government for how people are sick. But then they're like, oh, we don't want the government to, you know, figure out how to make people unsick, you know, or make people healthier or whatever. It's like you can't have you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Yeah, you, you, you know, like it can't just be that it contradicts. You got to have a consistent narrative. Is the government actually responsible for public health and nutrition? And should they be or not? You know, like you have to decide and you have to make a good argument and a good case for why or why not? Um so, I mean, that's something that people have to consider because people sit there and say, well, it's not my responsibility. It's not my responsibility. But you care. You care. Like if you're talking about obesity in a negative light, you care. You care that people are dealing with obesity. So it is your it is like up to you. It is it is part of your decision making. It is part of your responsibilities. If you care, if you don't care, if you think that everyone could do whatever they want and whatever taxpayer money be damned, then that's cool. That's fine. But if you're complaining about this thing, if you have negative attitudes and stereotypes about this thing, you care about it. The irony is it's is more, is if, or not irony, but like I'm more, I'm, I view it like sadly more cynical than that. I don't think people care for, I don't even think people care necessarily that they're so in touch with taxpayer money. I think they care because they have like, they're projecting their own, um, the word that is escaping me, their own like phobia and their own, you know, stigmas. Um, and, and I, I'm not sure when people are like posting about this stuff that they're like, they're like, yeah, this is a really, like, I really want the, the best for the most people. I'm really concerned with their well being, or, or even more cynically, more self-centered. I'm focused on my own taxpayer money. I think most people are like, 
are are like uh, grossed out that somebody could live that way. They're just like they're, it's way more dark and cynical than that. And I think that that isn't caring. Um, that isn't that isn't caring about your own money. It's not even caring about their well being. It's it's like caring about your own. Not even caring. It's just like a, a projecting your own stigmas and beliefs about how one should be living one's life. Yeah, and I think uh, when it comes to this discussion of stigma, um, we have to realize that shaming and blaming people doesn't really get them to change, nor does it help. And in many cases, as I pointed out before, it actually exaggerates the issue. You know, when you start projecting weight stigma onto other people and stereotypes, they're less likely to engage in physical activity, more likely to overconsume calories. You know, like, why would you want to make the issue that you perceive worse? So, I mean, we have to think about um, sort of our messaging, how we're getting across to people and what does it mean to be evidence and science-based? I had a, I had a, I've been having a bit of a, not a change of heart, but like the idea that I would ever encourage somebody to lose weight, I can't do it anymore. I don't think I could ever encourage somebody to lose weight anymore. Um, like, and when I say encourage, I mean, as a principle at, in and of itself, as something that you should do in all contexts, um, and, and maybe even in any context, like that, that, that there's like, I had a client who was like, you know, um, I really want you to, you know, be on me about this, you know, like I want you to make sure that I'm following through. And it's like, oh, I understand where you're coming from and that there's like a benefit that I can provide as far as external accountability. But it's really difficult for me to, to, to push you to do this because all I want is for you to have a good quality of life for the short time you're on this planet. And that probably that probably has as much to do with what the fuck goes on in your head about how you feel about all this, then I would say it has way more to do with that than what you're actually looking like or that whether you succeed in this fat loss phase or not, you lose 10 pounds. Like, um, and so it's really difficult for me. Like I, if you're, if you're a client listening and you're like a, whether you're in a, a state of good health or not, and you're like, well, I really want somebody to really push me to lose weight. Like, I'm just not sure that by, by itself, the idea of me just like actively encouraging that you should do this and you need to stick to this. Like I, I that's not, that's something I feel uncomfortable doing at this stage. I, I want you to be happy. And as so insofar as I can re see where you're coming from and, uh, and that you're coming at this from a pursuit of something positive, not maybe the a deterrent of something negative. Like I can be that person who, yeah, it's, I struggle to use the word encourage. I'm not sure that I can do that because that's not what I want for you. I don't need you to lose weight. I don't want you to lose weight. I want you to be happy and to enjoy this fucking minute that we get to spend on this planet. And insofar as being healthy can improve your quality of life, I think that it's important you come to that conclusion. It's not important that you do it because I am encouraging you to do it. And it's a whole motivational interviewing all over again, but um, really struggling with this like person who's like, I really just need somebody to kick me in the ass. It's no, you don't. You really need to rethink you know, what is important and what your values are and how you're going to enjoy your life because it's not going to be through getting yelled at to lose weight. That's certainly not going to be the end result you're looking for. Right. And who's to say that, you know, me encouraging you to lose weight is going to be sustainable. What, what if when I'm not there, how are you going to behave? How are you going to act? What's going to really motivate you to live your best life? You know, for some people, um, what they need is not the subtraction of of different food items, but the addition, like for me, it's really hard for me to personally track. So what I'm doing is trying to incorporate more nutritious, nu nutrient dense foods. And, you know, that's obviously helping me along my weight loss journey with my coach. So that's working out for me, but you know, the goal isn't for me to like lose as much as possible on the scale, but it's for me to incorporate more health-based behaviors and get to a place where I feel better. I'm moving better. I'm 
I, I'm more active, you know, I have a greater sense of, of, of life and urgency in my life. So, I mean, that's totally different than, you know, drop 50, 50 pounds in 50 days, bro. And then <laughs> we'll talk about whatever else afterwards. And if you, you know, if you totally talk about those things that you just said of like, I want to move better. I want to feel better. I want to have more energy. I want to be able to be physically autonomous for as long as possible. Like, and if you through valuing those things have come to a conclusion that weight loss is a part of how that will, how you will achieve those things, then that's okay. Uh, putting weight loss as the end that you are pursuing in isolation to me is it's a means it's and it's, and it's not always a means, but it may be a means depending on, you know, kind of the person in the context. Um, I just find it really, like you said, if I'm encouraging, if I really strongly, if I am, if my encouragement is the reason that you succeed in this one, I really question whether or not it's going to be sustainable, but, but maybe it is, maybe some people do, but two, all we've done is really, really again, overemphasize the fact that you are now smaller and that this is somehow inherently good. Um, and, and that right. that probably isn't it's just probably not the best place to live psychologically. I mean, I bet that it isn't. Right. Yeah. Like, what, what's your why? What's your justification and reasons for doing what you do? And if it comes from a place of love, it comes from a place of understanding and wanting to be, you know, better in whatever sense that the word that is for you. Like I said, for me then maybe, you know, doing this thing is appropriate for you. And maybe we don't have to do so rapidly. Maybe we don't have to do it a certain way. Maybe we could do it a way that helps you in the best way possible. Maybe, you know, by getting someone to lift better, you know, increase that muscle mass, we can increase, decrease that fat mass without really trying to lose all that amount of weight. And boom, you know, you have increased muscle mass, you're able to lift heavy weights, you're able to move a certain way, you're able to do certain things, your quality of life is better. It's different. You're not smaller in any sense, but you know, you feel better. You're, you're in a better place, you know? Yeah. And there's, um, I'm not the before and after King. If you look at my website, if you, I, I took, I took down all my before and after photos and I exclusively will put up and I'm not trying to fucking put myself up on some pedestal that I'm, that this is some soapbox here, but this is my opinion on stuff. Like it's, it's not something I flaunt. Uh, no before and afters are up on my website. I only have before and afters of, of people's uh, words of how they are. And so if somebody sends me some sort of, Hey, this is how I've changed my mentality towards things and improved my quality of life. I'll put that text blurb up there, but I just, I just not, I'm not, a. I just, the idea that, you know, you're going to hire me because you want to lose weight because losing weight is inherently always a good thing and that you're, I need to be smaller and I really want you to push me to be smaller. It's like, not so sure. I've had, I've had way more personal pleasure working with clients who end up not losing weight, but mentally coming to a place of losing weight isn't the thing that I've been after this whole time. Uh, My quality of life room for improvement wasn't through weight loss. That runway wasn't just from weight loss. There was many other things that I could be doing to improve my quality of life. And in fact, weight loss requires trade-offs that frankly, I don't actually want to do. Maybe I think that I want the end result, but when factoring in the trade-offs isn't something I want, that to me has brought more pleasure in the last couple of years than like, and weight loss can be a part of it. I have plenty of clients who have lost weight and they have crazy before and afters. And then that's great. And and for them, there has been part of that that has improved their quality of life, but not without the psychological side of, of acknowledging this isn't the be all end all. Right. And, you know, it's, it's good to see it from a different, broader perspective of um, trying to be a collaborator instead of an expert. I think, you know, when I'm working with my own clients, because now I have clients now, <laughs> believe it or not, Jordan. Yeah, brother. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, 
working with people, it's like, I want to be a collaborator. I don't want to dictate to you what to do or where to go or whatever. I'm here to navigate that with you. And, you know, navigating that with someone, some people realize, you know, weight loss isn't for them. Some people realize, you know, weight gain isn't for them. So it's, it's really about navigating what people actually want and what people actually need um, and not be selfish and not just be like, I'm a weight loss coach and that's all I do. And that's all I'm going to do. And you're going to suck it up or not. And I don't tell you, you're just a lazy bum. Like that's kind of a skewed way of viewing how to work with people. I, I often um, get to a point, let's say if somebody's in a fat loss phase where like we have a discussion, if let's say weight has, is not moving a discussion of, is the juice worth the squeeze a discussion of, do you want it bad enough? Now the irony is I always will say that's not a pump up speech. I'm not trying to pump you up. I'm not trying to, is it, are you, you ready? Do you, you ready to do what it takes? Like I'm genuinely asking, like, do you actually want to do these things? Cause what might have to happen now might be in that realm of not worth it. Like I'm literally asking you, this is not a rhetorical, like trying to pump you up here. Um, is the juice actually worth the squeeze? Uh, we need to take a step back and assess that. Um, but it, whenever it comes out of my mouth of like, do you want it bad enough? Like that's not me telling you that you should want it bad enough. That's me right. genuinely having a discussion of like, what are the pros and cons in the, in the holistic nature of your life if we're making these trades? Right, because whatever you do, it's not gonna be benign. That's what I want people to really walk away with whether that's weight loss or, you know, weight gain or any type of changes in body composition, it's, it's not, it's not benign. Like it's going to have an effect on you. It's going to have um, both it's good and it's probably not so good part parts, parts of it. So, you know, as, as an effective, I think coach and even beyond a coach, just an educator of health, you know, we need to portray it like that. We need to not pump people up and not sit there and say, rah, 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 this is, this is the, the way, but also say like, Hey, these are, these are the unintended consequences. These are some factors you have to look out for. These are some things you have to think about deeply um, before we make a decision or move forward. And I feel like that's what some of the best coaches do. We had, uh, we had, we had plans to do two other topics today, but I had a feeling we'd get lost in, 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 in this first one here, which I'm very happy we did. Is there anything we're coming up on an hour? Is there anything that you wanted to get off your chest that was, that was, you had notes on that you wanted to say on this topic? I think I'd love to put a pin in the other two that we could come back and do another podcast. Always a great time chatting with you, but is there anything in this, in this realm on this topic that you, that you haven't said that we'd like to talk about? Yeah. So, you know, I really want, um, coaches to consider the fact that we can't just see things from our own individual perspectives and we can't just rely just on, on the science-based evidence, but we have to marry those two. We need to realize that when we go through our own journey, we're going to go through shit. We're going to go through pitfalls and we have to be sympathetic towards those pitfalls and plateaus. And we need to realize that there's a whole wealth of evidence and science backing up the point that it's not just individual agency that's driving certain health outcomes or certain uh, health states. It's way more complicated than that. And if you really want to help people and serve them, I feel like on a grander scale, you have to be aware of those things. Excellent. I love that. And not to go too deep, but like, I also know that there's a lot of coaches out there that like there it's about acknowledging that i don't know i know i don't want to open up a can of worms but not everybody's trying to do that you know and and that's 
okay, I guess, that not all coaching is geared towards the greater good, maybe, um, the the population at large. You know, not everybody's a coach for uh, the population at large that, that needs maybe a slightly different approach that doesn't involve an exact protein per, you know, grams of protein per, per body weight metric here. Um, but yeah, I think, I think maybe step one for coaches would be acknowledging whether or not you think you're doing that. And if you are actually helping those people and if you want to help those people, are you doing what you should be doing? Um, right. and if not acknowledging that that is not your target audience and maybe making that known so that the people out there that are consuming your content in that, in that realm, like that might not be for them, but that's a really, that's a really, uh, ego checking thing that can be difficult for some people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the qualms that I have with the fitness industry, especially right now is we're, we're getting to a point where we're saying, you know, data over feelings for everything. And there's a certain section of people that says, you know, my feeling, fuck, like my feelings over your fucking data, you know? And it's like, how do you get into like sort of more of a middle ground where um, you acknowledge the personal struggle and experiences of different people outside of yourself? And you acknowledge that there's a wider literature and there's a wider evidence base for different topics you, you didn't even conceive of um, because people are so concerned about metabolism and getting grams of protein right and doing this and doing that. But they don't consider uh, social barriers to help or, or, you know, like that. That's important. Both of those are important. I'm not saying one is more important than the other, but those are really important to know. And, um, you know, it, not to dis dissuade people because, you know, they had different experiences than you, but try to understand them, try to see where they're coming from and try to see if you could work together to some way, somehow and find that middle ground, find that common ground. I think if you look, I think that this is just a scenario of we have data on xyz but applying it to a very dynamic thing like a human being uh requires acknowledging that this is not like plugging data into a computer that there is going to be an right. application side of things here that that is it not not i was gonna say gentle but that is just less straightforward um yeah. and and the interesting part you said is actually like th that people were like well then you're you know you're not actually like evidence-based and you're but there's actually research on that stuff too of like what does the application, what are the different methods of app applying this research? What are the results of that at the larger scale? Like you said, the, the shaming of, you know, let's say fat shaming, whatever is, has XYZ negative effects. And that's where like, you know, just telling somebody what the data is, isn't actually having the effect that you want it to have. Right. Yeah. Right. Cool, man. I'm going to wrap it up there. I want to, I want to let, I want to let you go. I have a call coming up right now, but I've really, I'm, I was excited to talk about the other stuff too. So we'll put a pin in that. We'll schedule something else, man. It's always yeah. a pleasure. Tell people where they can find you. Um, and for everybody who's listening to this podcast, who has a podcast, please get JBN on to talk about some of this stuff. Really, really helpful for a lot of your listeners. Thank you so much, Jordan. Uh, you guys can follow me on Instagram at science by J that's science by J A E J. Um, same handle for Twitter, same handle for TikTok. Um, I'm also really um, active on Substack, so my Substack is Science by Jason. So same handle, same thing. So thank you for having me. Thanks a lot, brother. We'll talk soon. Yep. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.